when we look at remote viewing and how that came to be and how it's been utilized by some of our government um, departments and so forth, it was the assumption was that what you're seeing is objective reality, that remote viewers were capable of taking a look anywhere, anytime and seeing something that therefore would be there. Uh, I don't know that what was also equally considered was the impact of uh, the fact that that kind of observation could be um, calling into being, if you will, uh, events, both in the future and the past. I, I'm pretty sure that may not have been considered as fully as those of us tracking the Mandela effect and reality shifts would make sure to be considering it. Right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Higher Journeys. I should say welcome back because I know lots of you are uh, joining us for, I don't know, maybe the hundredth time or so. <laughs> We've been on for a while. We have been on for quite some time and it's always uh, such a pleasure to have you join me. We actually have been off for a week or so. We can maybe get into that later, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are here with my special guest. You all know her well. I call her the quantum optimist and for good reason, Cynthia Sue Larson. Welcome to the show again. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> awesome, Alexis. Thank you good. so much. We are going to be talking about something new, you guys, uh, new uh, for us, meaning that we haven't uh, done a show on this uh, before, what we call or what is called, I should say, looking glass technology. We're going to be talking about that. Looking glass technology, or some call it Project Looking Glass, is supposedly secret program that has been going on for quite some time. But how it relates to, among other things, the Mandela effect. And of course, if there's anyone that can talk very intelligent about uh, the Mandela effect, it's none other than Cynthia Sue Larson. We'll be touching on uh, parallel timelines as it relates to all of this, as well as remote viewing. So I know you're going to want to stay tuned for the whole entire episode because it's going to get real deep, real quick. We are going down the rabbit hole. Before we go there, I do want to remind you, and I'm going to start doing this up front to let y'all know that when we conclude this episode, we're going to go right next to over to Patreon so we can continue the conversation with our after show. So I certainly hope you'll join us there. That, of course, helps support what we do here at Higher Journeys and you get a little bit more uh, insight into the kind of off the record stuff. So I hope you will consider joining us after the show. For now, let's get into it. Cynthia Sue Larson, you and I uh, were talking offline, as we typically do before we hit the record button, about this idea of looking glass. For those who may not be aware of that term, what it means, and where it is right now, could you give the audience a little bit of a definition as to what the Looking Glass technology or Project Looking Glass is all about? Well, I'm not officially an expert, but I've heard about the project and I've seen enough of, or heard enough from people who have apparently worked with it to know that it must exist. Uh, although not a firsthand experiencer. So what this is, is that some kind of technology that some of the governments of the world, including the United States government had access to apparently that enabled them to do kind of a remote viewing, if you will, of possible timelines looking into the future. So that's in a nutshell what it was. And 
my own um, proof, if you want to call it that, of that there are that there is such a department of what um, people were calling time travel is that some of the people who'd left that department contacted me around <laughs> um, around 2011 or so. And um, they, was, they felt compelled to contact me because they said that they would have known if I had existed and they just wanted to let me know that they were surprised that I did exist. And, and that was, I think, I think those are the first times I'd ever gotten emails like that. <laughs> like, like you didn't used to exist, but now you do. And That's a big deal, even though you may not be uh, it, have gone in depth about the looking glass technology, just that little bit that you told us that indeed you got confirmation that something that at least resembles what's described is essentially, guys, uh, it, it's complex, first of all. But right. I think if I were to uh, distill it very briefly, simplistically, it is a form of holographic technology that allows you to view not only past events, but perhaps future uh, scenarios holographically through something that's been called the yellow cube. It's it's quite complex, and I, I certainly don't pretend to know a lot about it, but I had heard the term. I knew loosely what it was per pertaining to, this idea of ob observation based on a very, very uh, counter to Newtonian physics, <laughs> that being the quantum world, through uh, the understanding of the, the quantum mechanics to be able to view with a very malleable um, structure of time and space using a technology. And I believe that there was actually a device that was found. I want to say it was in Iraq. I, I, I got to be careful because I don't want to speak out of school, but there was actually a device and maybe several that have been built over time that have, uh, has, have been, this technology has been perfected to be able to see under certain conditions these, these different scenarios. I'm being very careful just to share what I've had direct experience with, that I've been in contact with uh, three separate individuals, one for a more extended period of time, but not currently in touch with any of them, um, going back to around 2011. And that the content of the conversation was very interesting because independently of one another and not, I, I presume, not known to each other, they were all saying, they used to work in a time travel department. In other words, one such department used to exist that they were part of. And so that, that right there is extraordinary. And then secondly, they're letting me know that I did not exist when they were, when it was their job to look to see forward in the future and they had not seen me before. So it was, it was, it was a very interesting conversations. Yeah, I'm sure. And we're not going to press you to go into too much detail, uh, only as much as you feel comfortable. But the idea that they would say you didn't exist before, right. meaning on their radar or, <laughs> you know, was there some cryptic? <laughs> well, like, subsequently, I came to know what they were talking about, because uh, up until that point, I, 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 I could take it in in the form of a Mandela effect, which, of course, I've been studying since the 1990s. I wrote my book, Reality Shift. And you know, reality shifts with, of course, Larry Hagman, the actor, being alive again. And then subsequently, you know, 2009, um, Nelson Mandela was the famous person who was noticed being alive again. Then, then we got the Mandela effect. And Art Bell was asking me around 2010, would I call it the Mandela effect? And I said, no, I'd call it alive again. I'm giving context in the timeline so that you can see where the dates are and what's yes. going on. So then around 2011, that's very interesting to me because the 
that time does matter that they're saying this. And at that point, I hadn't yet noticed, I hadn't yet gone to someone and like I subsequently did go to someone in 2013 until um, I was talking to a physicist who works at UC Berkeley. And I told him in, um, I would have included you in my book, Quantum Jumps, but I did not see you or any of your work. And none of that was part of my reality. You did not exist for me. And so I was telling physicist Yasunori Nomura in 2013, what these people had told me just two years prior. Hmm. Uh, what does this mean? In terms of reality shifts and Mandela effects, um, it means that we can have people arrive in our lives that we need because Yasunori Nomura, to me, he's a very pivotal um, scientist and researcher, one who is looking at how can the physics of the very, very large be united with the very, very small. He's looking into the theory of everything. He did co-author a paper with Alan Guth, the famous physicist who won that $1 million prize. And he was looking at the super expansion at the time of the Big Bang and so forth. So it's very interesting to me uh, about these moments where for sure, like I, I told yes, Dr. Yasunori Nomura, you did not exist for me. And he, of course, understood what I was saying. Mm -hmm. uh, just very much like I understood when these three people- When they said that to you. Yes. You did not exist for me. Well, this gets into the, the entire nature of reality, for God's yes. sakes. I mean, th this is really a rabbit hole. But you know what I think, guys? And I, I, I feel like we were called to have this conversation today, Cynthia, because- we're now living in a world where we're going to start to see on a macro level, to use your term, that this is the case. I have never seen such a state of affairs or a state of reality that is in such a, a, a state of indeterminism or it, it's indeterminate. It's, it's fluctuating. It's malleable like I've never seen before. I feel like, I think you and I have had this conversation before, that timelines are constantly ebbing and flowing in and out of our reality. I've noticed that lately. And I say lately, probably in the last two years, particularly, and this is a sense, I'd like to get your comment on this. Those who are sensitive tend yeah. to be more empathic because we're so uh, attuned to our environment are probably feeling this more. What are your thoughts on that? Are we dealing with a more fluid in and out of realities that maybe some of these people were seeing in the looking glass technology or timeline, yeah. I should say. It does feel that way to me that we're in sort of the rapids. There's so much more going on. There's so much more. It's like boiling with um, these timelines. There's so much happening. And those of us who are sensitive and intuitive, we're kind of like the antenna. We're the rabbit ears um, to go down these rabbit holes. But we can also sense adjacent realities. We who can sense them are actually voting for them, whether we know it or not based on our gut level reaction, our heart level response. And it's just the fullness of our being basically saying no, or saying yes, we are voting and we are participating in collectively choosing what's about to happen next. And I'm gonna quote another famous physicist here, John Archibald Wheeler, who came up with this concept of the participatory universe that we live in a participatory universe. So when we ask nature a question, we get an answer back. And that's also a very large uh, concept that comes up in a lot of the writings of some of the physicists that I love so much, like Henry Stapp and you know, so forth. There are so many wonderful 
um, hippies who saved physics, those those guys, those are the ones like uh, George Weissman that I co-authored a paper with, of course, and a number of other physicists as well. Dr. Quantum, you know, from what the bleep do we know? And the idea here is that the observer absolutely influences everything. This is how we can actually start to see someone that never existed before because it's almost like we've called them into being, like we need them to be here and then they are. That's what it felt like for me with Dr. Yasunori Nomura. I was just so grateful to see his um, slides, his papers. I, I turned some of his illustrations from his research papers into slides when I would give talks and presentations um, to depict, for example, that we know for sure that if we see half of a chair just behind, you know, the corner of the room behind someone, mm -hmm. the, re the rest of the chair is there. It's not going to be smeared into a probability wave function where it's maybe there, maybe not. Um, so uh, he was really tying these quantum concepts into the macroscopic and making it very palpable in a wonderful way. You mentioned the active observation and living in a participatory universe. I actually have two questions. I hope I can hold on to both of them. When we put this within the context of looking glass technology, looking glass technology is used for what? Observation. <laughs> right. The question I've always asked, or I say always, since I've been somewhat tuned into this idea of looking glass, is whomever is actually doing the observing through the looking glass, are they participating in its outcome? <laughs> yes, I would say yes, absolutely. I don't know if that was, hopefully that was factored in by people using the technology, but often, okay, let's back up and take a look at um, what we know about remote viewing. I know you're going to talk about that later, but I need yeah. to mention it now. Absolutely, go for it. Okay, because um, when we look at remote viewing and how that came to be and how it's been utilized by some of our government um, departments and so forth, it was the assumption was that what you're seeing is objective reality, that remote viewers were capable of taking a look anywhere, anytime, and seeing something that therefore would be there. Uh, I don't know that what was also equally considered was the impact of uh, the fact that that kind of observation could be um, calling into being, if you will, uh, events, both in the future and the past. I, I'm pretty sure that may not have been considered as fully as those of us tracking the Mandela effect and reality shifts would make sure to be considering it. And it, it's a difficult thing to track and difficult to measure and make part of a protocol because that's the level of the observer that makes a difference in what is being observed. It's a level of the of the observer that right. makes a difference in what is being observed. So Let here's here, yeah. Oh, go here's, ahead. Here's where my second question. Thanks for reminding me what my second question was. The level of the observer, consciously right. or subconsciously. Good question. Um, it seems like you get different results when you do it different ways, and I've been tracking that as well with my work with reality shifts, which are unconscious subconscious events where it's like whoa something just happened like the mandela effect often seems to be like this is different than i remember and in personal lives that can be true too and then quantum jumps would be a case of i need to be healthy i know that i've got this 
incurable situation, but I need to be healthy. So I'm going to bring some energy in, know that I can be, visualize it and act as if and pretty much make a jump with the benefit of this added energy from, you could think of it as contacting source, God, creator, zero entropy. I'm making this little point to show it's the perennial philosophy of all paths lead back to zero entropy, mm -hmm. to God, to creator. And that's the key. That's exactly the key that when we look at the levels of self and you look at this is a very perpendicular line that just goes straight up, straight down. And we ourselves, we see it in our own heads, which have neurons, hearts, which have neurons, guts, which have neurons. We have three neuron centers in our body. That should be a huge clue that we're not just with one set. We're not just one brain. We ourselves are learning to think with this, these levels of awareness. And then the level of perception that we bring to it starts often as a perception that like a butterfly lands on my hand. And that's a first order perception. And then when I observe, I feel something touch my hand and I'm startled and I look and I see, oh, good, it's a butterfly. But but this is now a second order observational awareness of the original first order perception. It was the philosopher Leibniz that first identified this as being the basis of consciousness. And this is what we're not starting to see some of the artificial intelligence robots are hmm. beginning to develop as well. That's a whole other rabbit hole. This stuff's how, big. You're going yeah. in some big areas here. These, these are big areas. <laughs> are you familiar with a couple of, a, a couple of technologies I want to throw out at you and get your comments on as it relates to looking glass? The Montauk chair. Are you familiar with that? This is, a, a, again, another device that is somehow tied in with the ability to transport, teleport an individual into the past, into another timeline out of uh, Montauk, uh, is it New Jersey? Montauk, New Jersey. I've heard of it. This yes. is a secret program. Can you comment on that at all? Or and again, I don't have you know, here. I really don't have any kind of experience, even indirect from people that may have been working with it. Um, but I, it seems legitimate. It seems like enough people have talked about it, and it seems like something. Why would they be bringing all this up if it right. wasn't <laughs> true? Lots of references. I'll name one person, Andrew Basiago, who I haven't uh, looked into his work for quite some time. Very controversial gentleman, but he uh, has attested or to uh, being a part of this program and being in that chair and having traveled to a variety of timelines. Uh, just thought I'd throw that out there because it all it's all related. And these are all just fascinating. And again, I'm speaking a bit out of school, but I, I thought we'd at least have a conversation about it. The other is as it relates, I believe this is part of the whole package of technology, the chronovisor. Right. And that might be something that some people would say are similar to this um, thing that we were talking about originally here today, which is the whole concept of the looking glass. So the chronovisor was some kind of technology that apparently existed that I think was even taken to Rome and the Vatican and people were, I don't know if they had it originally or who came up with this technology, but it was some kind of viewing apparatus, which enabled people to see, uh, you know, look back and see the time of Christ, for example, and be able to witness it like you're watching a TV program, but it's actually looking back through history. And again, I don't know anyone who's actually seen it, who can verify that. So I don't have any even indirect proof of this, but I've heard of it. Right. Yes. 
Me too. And and you mentioned the Vatican, and I cannot call the name of the individual who was at the Vatican, I believe, or closely uh, aligned with the Vatican in some capacity, who either discovered it or... Right. I, I don't know again, but it, it's just fascinating. We need, we're going to go deeper into this guys. Forgive us for being a bit sketchy on it, but we just figured we'd throw these concepts out. Have you uh, maybe look into it a little bit more. I'm also going to give a shout out I, I, to another channel that you may be familiar with called inspired uh, shout out to John, Jane, John Nolan, I believe yeah. it is, who, and his wife who do a great job. And that's where I, uh, saw a couple of videos, both Cynthia and I, that piqued our interest. So we figured we'd uh, take the conversation a little bit further. But again, folding it into this idea of how the uh, Mandela effect, as it is now called, might be possible. Again, you know, my big question as far as looking glass and its legitimacy is, is it bigger than just observing past and future, but rather manipulating it, changing timelines so that something that uh, we all have a collective memory of literally is different because they pulled in another timeline. Right. Well, yes, I'd say this is absolutely happening and there's no way to prevent it um, from the what I understand about reality shifting, Mandela effects, all of that. There's no way to prevent the observer from having that effect. Um, and I think what's interesting, and is it okay to talk about that you mentioned the channel. Did you want to bring up uh, what you asked me to watch a link today? Yes. Um, okay. Go, go for it. We'll even <laughs> okay. put a link to what she's going to be talking yeah. about. <laughs> okay. So this this is the first time I'd seen this information that you shared with me today, Alexis, about guardians of the looking glass. Mm -hmm. And so I um, this is today is the first day I've really had a chance to explore that at all, and only briefly, right before we talked. But what's so fascinating to me about this whole subject and the way it came up on the Inspired show, where Inspired was talking with a filmmaker, uh, Frank, is that his name? Frank, yeah, something. We'll get the name <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah. And they were discussing, uh, it's, it's very interesting because apparently uh, this group of individuals who had been working with the intelligence community in some um, secret fashion have come together and they it sounds like they're risking their lives and to do this so they take it very seriously uh, but what they're doing is showing um, the rest of us that they're having some key time points in the years 2012 2016 and now 2022 to avert some possible scenarios from happening that if not changed might um, result in a very negative future for us by the year 20. 30, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And these next five years are extremely important. So we're in 2022. And um, it looks like lots of things could go one way or the other. And the, the mission, apparently, as I see it from just briefly looking at this whole topic, is that this group of individuals who have not named themselves uh, for purposes of retaining anonymity for protection of their safety and well-being, what they're basically presenting is that we do collectively have an opportunity to choose timelines and change the future. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that I've been working with, with international Mandela effect conference as well. So to me, it's like, okay, yes, this is doable for sure. Now the way that they're doing it is a little different because apparently 
and this was hinted at in this video that, that you had me watch, um, that apparently some people are finding, I was reading the comments too. So I'm watching the video, I'm reading the comments. You can learn so much from comments. You sure can. <laughs> and, and that's where I discovered like, wow, people are feeling a little bit nervous. Like, why do you want us to tap in on these dates? Like this date in April and this date in May. And these are horrific events. Why are we, why should we be sharing this video? It's, it seemed, it caught people, it kind of rubbed them the wrong way in the comment section. But I can tell you firsthand that one of the things you can do when you're, choosing a different reality when you are selecting timelines with a group one of the best things to do is to call out a certain timeline that for sure nobody really wants and as soon as everyone's attention goes to it they say well of course we don't want that and that is powerful so it's not really discussed in that video link that you gave me but i know that from direct experience if you want to steer away from something point it out and if you have a group of people there can be a strong pushback absolutely to avert that collision. That's an interesting uh, approach, Cynthia, that I know, had you not explained it so brilliantly, some people might push back on and say, well, you don't, you certainly don't want to focus on the things that you don't desire, you know, that's kind of in the camp of keep it positive, don't look at the negative, but I tend to agree with you, or I think that there's <clears throat> a few ways that this can be accomplished, but the way you described it, I think is absolutely perfect call attention to that which you do not desire which arouses an emotion of no you've talked about this before in some scenarios yeah. that you've been in which is very powerful maybe go into that a little bit and i think one of them has to do with was it your grandmother who was sick or somebody or, or had passed or something make mm -hmm. a call something where you said no it can't be yeah, well, my grandmother, she got liver cancer, inoperable liver cancer ah. when she was in her 90s. And so they gave her just a few months to live. And basically, by the time she told us about it, my reaction was no, for sure, no. And I think she told her spiritual and religious community, she was Lutheran, and they heard about it. And I know that when you've got that many people, not just are we spiritual and we we get that energy source from God, from creator, from zero entropy for the atheists. It's the same thing. You're just going to that place which is infinite and eternal. And so there's no time. It's non-linear, absolutely outside of time. Mm -hmm. And so when you get that zero point energy straight from source and through prayer, through love, and through knowing that we need uh, Neva, that was her name, to thrive and survive, then the next thing we all knew, she no longer had any kind of cancer whatsoever. Not, to, not, not. It was just epic. It went from riddled with cancer, inoperable, no way to get to deal with it, um, completely gone. So, there's a term that I know you used with me so long ago when we were talking about something, uh, and it, it's righteous indignation. Yes. Just you know, it's not. You know, we think of prayer as asking. It's asking for intervention in a, in a sort of yeah. victim way. But when you shift that approach to more of a command, I always say co-man because you're co-creating the reality along with the source, with God, whatever, however you'd like to refer to this omnipotent on omnipotence with fervence, with determination. No, not please but right. no. Right. 
I, I, I think that's important to, to it's sort of so through. important. Yeah. And this is I this is something I don't think humanity is being trained in. I, I know we sure don't get it in our schools. And, and there tends to be um, it, it, it gets overlooked. It never really gets mentioned. Aside from us talking about it now, I pretty much never hear about it. It's extremely important to be able to have that sort of a fail safe, um, righteous indignation. But it's not just it's not saying like, please don't. It's basically saying no, you know, with real forza, with real oomph mm -hmm. and a keen awareness that we can rise to that level of observer where we have the ability to clear that out. Um, and it's something that I do when I'm doing basically shamanic kind of work where I'm doing an energy clearing. And I, I was talking to a medical doctor recently. He was he was in, inquiring about healing and things he can do with his medical practice. But he'd also had some bizarre experiences. And the subject of this healing and this forte, this no came up. And he said, he was asking me, Cynthia, is it true that healing itself could be seen as a kind of exorcism, you know, this clearing of these, of just with complete indignation, like, no, unacceptable. I said, yeah, that's a brilliant observation. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. So let's bring this somewhat full circle where we bring looking glass back into this and yes. what we're now discussing along with, and of course we will have a link uh, for, for those of you that haven't seen the, or are not familiar with the Inspired channel. I like them a lot. I may try to hook up with them and maybe have them on the show one of these days, but all of that, the power of our having this conversation, knowing what the choices are supposed to be in terms of the ultimate timeline, really talk about a convergence of timelines that will result in one of two scenarios for our future. One being what we would call a good one and one uh, not so good at all. Being exposed to that not so good at all and the details of it of which we're not going to go into it here in this venue, but you know, you probably know what we're talking about in terms of what certain factions have planned on our behalf without our consent. No, <laughs> we need, and the more we talk about it to the extent that we can in the venues that we can and, and not be frightened by it, but say, not only no, but hell no, not only no, but hell no. And enough of us do it, but we can't do that unless we're a aware of it, what it is, and also have looked at the antithesis of what that is, which is where we're supposed to be. Right. Absolutely. It's a fine line. Yeah, it's a very fine line indeed, but such an important one. And mm. this is where I wish that um, every man, woman, and child, especially the children, uh, could be gaining a sense of sovereignty of self so that they know that no is no and they can. Um, be part of this fail-safe uh, consciousness, consciousness. For, all, for humanity, for the new earth that we're coming together to create. If you're enjoying this episode, along with all of the subjects that we cover here on Higher Journeys, then I invite you to join our members-only community on Patreon, where we go even deeper into the conversations with the guests that you know and love. Not only does your membership ensure that we can keep this work going and growing, but you'll also get immediate access to our exclusive after shows. Get up close and personal with the guests of the show, along with many other member perks. So click on the link below to join now or visit higherjourneys.com where you'll find the Patreon link. We'll see you on the journey. Thanks. I'm looking at my notes here um, and I'm trying to decide where we go. I know. 
came to me immediately. Do we have an inner looking glass? Do we have the ability? And we talk about remote viewing. It's something that's somewhat more of a, a, a crude form of looking glass, you might say, because right. the two are sort of, uh, they're, they're mutually exclusive, I guess. But do we as individuals have an inner looking glass, i.e. through the pineal gland or third eye, as an example? And if so, can that be developed so we can have our own uh, peek into the future and the past and have uh, an effect on it? Yes. Yeah, this is something that's possible through, uh, we talked about remote viewing and it's a, often people think of remote viewing just as being a tool that's used usually with a couple of people and it's a protocol and so, so on and so forth. But it all boils down to exactly um, this, this answer to your question, which is yes, we all can tune in and, and receive intuitive guidance. Sometimes it's very subtle and most of the people that get good at this just get practiced in the art of taking very subtle cues and realizing that's a message or this is something, especially when it seems like where'd this come from? Well, then you're onto something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you've got something. And so it's, it's developing these abilities that that's possible for all of us to do. And you're right. We, we do have access to it often in the forms of um, also deja vu where we feel like, Whoa, that's really, you're, you can think of it as your higher consciousness showing you this is, you, you had the preview and now you're living it. So you start getting a little bit of the hand holding through this process. That's one way. Lucid dreaming can enable a lot of people to start having access to a bigger reality. I was just going to bring that up. The dreamscape is a big one. And mm -hmm. we've heard so many. I know my audience has talked about shows that we've had like this where they will talk about uh, dreams that seem to be portending uh, certain future scenarios, those uh, and scenarios with an S. Again, we're not talking about one static timeline, linear timeline that we think works that way, but rather uh, some some potential timelines that maybe are simultaneous that all exist. Or let's go right. there. Talking yes. about playing out all of these timelines, if one, we may be witnessing one right now, but is the other choice that we're not seeing that has come down into density playing out elsewhere. Thank you. And, and I'm glad you brought this up too, because often there's an assumption made that when people hear about something like the Mandela effect and they hear about timelines, they might start thinking, well, clearly we all experience the same thing, but that's not the case. And you'll find that out rather quickly if you trade notes with other with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and find out if, if they are open to talking about such things, uh, their memories are likely not exactly the same as yours, even if they do notice the Mandela effect. They might not notice, um, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. For them, it's always been magic mirror on the wall. But for you, it's always been, it used to be mirror, mirror. And now it's suddenly always been magic mirror. And that's different for you, but not for them. This is very significant because it does show that there are that many possible realities and they can be wildly divergent. So we tend to assume everyone's on board and we're all experiencing the same thing, but what if we're not? So does that mean, Cynthia, that we could be simultaneously existing in different levels of reality? Now this gets into the parallel, not necessarily timeline, but parallel reality idea. 
that the friend, and think of all of the arguments, guys, that you've had with a friend or family member about mirror, mirror, or magic mirror, oftentimes mm-hmm. things a little deeper than that. And you both witnessed it and you're swearing it was another way. And you get into an argument about it, but what could be happening, question mark, is that for that period of time, the individual you're arguing with or you're talking to existed in a parallel reality? They can also be kind of playing hide and go seek, like those time travel experts when they were talking to me. I, I didn't I didn't share one more thing here in this show, which is very significant. Um, I had been under the radar until about October 2010, despite having my website, despite writing books. I, uh, you might wonder, under the radar from what? Well, I was aware of a possible timeline future, which I considered very negative, very transhumanist, um, because it's what I, it's my most recent past life. It's 540 years in the, from before I was born. And that was a reality which did have central artificial intelligence. I was hiding from that. So when they tell me you didn't exist, I wasn't that surprised. It's like, well, why would I want to exist for a time travel department of the United States um, who might be locking onto a transhumanist future that they think is good, that I don't think is good. Can we get into this a little deeper? Now you've you've hit you've hit a, a spot here. I recall you talking about this uh, offline with me some time ago. If you would elaborate a little bit, Cindy, on this reality that you experienced in another was this in the past? Go go into this a little bit more. Where you existed when while this was playing out, this transhumanist okay idea. Well, it's gonna, it sounds like science fiction, but um, remember, if you look at from the mind of God and, you know, in between lives, I think that's where I hang out. I, I go to hang out in the eternal area with um, just that nonlinear, pure love, uh, infinite, eternal state of being. And that's what I remember right before I came into this life. But prior to that, I do clearly remember that I was in a very dystopian future is how I describe it. On the surface, everything looked perfect. There was, there's no crime. There's no environmental damage or destruction. Everybody is getting along. The population is, the human population is quite small. Their ecosystems are balanced. And how is this happening? What's keeping it all running? Well, basically a central artificial intelligence system, which I uh, everybody had to be part of it. Um, there were just, there was one huge exception to that, who was the, the woman that I was working for, and she was quite independently wealthy. She lived in the Monterey area. This is like 500 years in the future. So it hadn't fallen into the ocean in that reality. <laughs> um, and most of the humans were living long lives. However, they were heavily augmented with technologies, heavily augmented to the degree that they could be controlled by the central artificial intelligence. Humans could have their brain short-term memory wiped. They could have the equivalent of an EMF pulse to shut down any human that was thinking outside the box, that was too creative, that was questioning like, how is the central AI getting its power and that kind of thing that's a dangerous thought. So don't think that and human is shut down. And there were lots of androids and it it was a very blurry thing between what was a person, what was a robot. And the woman that I worked for was one of the last remaining full humans. So she was quite um, instrumental 
um, in the sense that she believed that there was this this God, this um, apex point of of perfect love and compassion. And so I was basically part of this God project to jump back through time to some undisclosed past point, along with many, many, many others, and to outrun, to outmaneuver this central AI of the future. It, the whole thing sounds like sci-fi, except that is my most recent past life. Not to our audience. And, and again, this is why it's important to talk about it. I mean, obviously, guys, let's let's be clear. We are talking about the potential of some factions that want to see this sort of uh, picture of uh, human 2.0, if you will. So it, it yes, it seems like science fiction, but guess what? I don't think it is. First, I, I'd like to know, when did you become aware of this future self? Were you progressed in, in order to procure this information? I, yeah, I had to be. I was. Um, that's a good question. It was very slowly, like a, like kind of like a slow drip, received by me. Um, I knew at a very young age that I was. Uh, well, I had to be careful. I had. I was falling asleep backwards. I was watching my thoughts backwards, like like you'd walk through a river to escape scent hounds. I, I was always felt like I was being pursued via consciousness. It's a hard thing to explain. Up until October 2010, when I um, got together with a couple of energy worker shamans and we basically shook loose the connection that I had to that that potential future. So that particular future was derailed, but that doesn't derail it for everyone for altogether. So it's complicated. It's, it's complicated, but yeah. we'll, we'll just take it to the lowest common denominator. <laughs> you became aware of this. How Do you recall how old you were or how long ago this was? Well, um, ever since early childhood, I, I could feel that I was being, like my thoughts were being traced. I could feel questions coming at me, probing, okay. like to, just to see who I was. Um, do you think this was connected, Cynthia, to why you were visited in 2010, 2011 by these individuals that worked in this? I, I do think this is all connected, yes. I, um but, but fortunately, I've also always been in touch with angels. They're different. They're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a very big... I would dare say so. <laughs> yes. 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 So fortunately, I had a lot of guidance from angels. And, and I was, um, even though I was being very cautious and not, you know, flying up above the radar, I also recognized that I needed to be in full integrity, that everything I was thinking could be fully known and in fact was fully known. So I was raised by angels that way who would tell me that and I would believe the angels when they said, everyone knows what you're thinking. I thought, okay, well then I better keep it really clean. So in other words, <laughs> super integrity. So I was raised that way. <laughs> wow. You're in touch with a lot of intelligence. Yes. You're in touch with a lot of intelligence. That's the only word I could use. A lot of entities. Yes. Angelic. <laughs> source itself well i think we all are at least at the subconscious level we all are but you you've done it so consciously over the years cynthia and i think i think it was a survivor thing because i was still in the ptsd and i was still if you think about where i just come from and i really believed it and then it was slowly revealed uh, you know as i got older like more and more came through like whoa it was uh yeah i I had to be is what i'm saying i think anyone would have ended up this way if they were me did you have that other scenario play out where perhaps you were existing in a future timeline of uh, 
of evolution and ascension and awakening, which supposedly is out of the the two choices that we may be faced with, that would be the other choice. Yeah, I think I think I think there's no accident that I have this kind of a horrific um, memory, and it ties in with what we're talking about and about this whole guardians of the of the looking glass. It's it's very powerful when you know. We definitely want, don't, you know, we're going to steer away from this possible future or anything that even feels or looks like that because it can go seriously wrong. And so I think it's a good thing that I have that in retrospect. It's good to have that. Um, I think the message as we wind down is you. we have the opportunity to look through the looking glass as well, regardless of the device we use. I say the one that's most important is, is within um but looking at this information uh, and these po- potentials are absolutely key. Observing these potentials is absolutely key to steering them in the direction we desire. And uh, there's a lot of us and not so many that want maybe something else. So you know what to do, folks. You know what to do. Listen, I've got to mention, we're going to wind down, go on over to Patreon. But as I uh, briefly mentioned, we didn't talk too much about ascension. I know that's a word that... Uh, that, that a lot of people, including myself, don't necessarily like to use because I think it's more of an expansion. You and I have talked about that. Awakening, expansion, evolution, organically, let me just say. Cindy, you did a stellar job. I, I still can't believe this was all the way back in November of uh, 2021, right. a workshop for our Conscious Academy, what the ascension is and isn't, how to recognize and grow through it to thrive. I think we touched on that today, but I just want to remind everyone if you that have, is, Oh gosh, it's so important. Yeah. It's I wanna... relevant. Absolutely. I want to uh, make sure that we have a link uh, for you guys. Cause we can, you can get it uh, on demand. You can download it on demand, the full workshop, uh, including the interactive Q and a, of course it won't be interactive because you're going to be watching it after the fact, but it is chock full of good optimistic stuff within the context of the conversation that we have had today. We've got to be aware of the shadow. How can you know how bright the light can be unless you've glimpsed the shadow? Right? And that's what I think it's... Uh, and, and then when you know. ask how good can it get, it means something because then you can really see that. Yeah. Yes. See why we call her the quantum optimist. And for someone that has been through so much, I know we didn't get a chance to go into it too much, but you went through your own trial in the last oh. couple of years with this... Mm-hmm thing that has uh, afflicted so many. And as you say, you had the long version. How are you doing these days, Cynthia? Fantastic. And I just want people. Yeah, it's gone. I've been symptom and relapse free for almost a year. And so now it's just been a gradual progression of healing all the organs in my body from long COVID. And I did a video with Shane Robinson, Mm. because it it ties in with my long COVID journey, and then some amazing health tips and techniques that everybody can use somewhere free. So, okay. All right. We'll, we'll leave it there. Cause you know how it is here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh dear. Well, listen, as always, Cynthia, it's, it's so refreshing to have you particularly during times like this. It's uh, we need to uh, bring the necessary voices together, talk with one another. Mm-hmm. So encourage you uh, journey yours to comment below this video uh, and, and start a conversation amongst yourself and reach out to me. I try my best to answer each and every one of you and Cynthia as well. And you know, I love the comments. Yeah, I, I know you do. And you read those comments and she'll answer you too. So we can have a conversation and let us know guys. Um, if you want us to go a little deeper, a little deeper, we can go deep, deep, deep. 
uh, into more of this, let us know and we could have Cynthia back in. And I have a feeling Cynthia is going to be doing a little bit more research, as will I, on all of this looking glass technology, mm -hmm. timelines, remote viewing, and consciousness that very, probably the most important uh, concept here uh, today uh, that we really didn't get into, but it is, it has to factor in big time. So, uh, Cynthia Sue Larson, realityshifters.com, by the way, that's where you got to learn more about uh, Cynthia's work, realityshifters.com. You have a fantastic newsletter that comes out monthly. And uh, yeah, she's got a lot going mm -hmm. on and she's just getting started, just getting started still. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, my dear. We're going over to Patreon right now. So please come and join us for the after show. We're going to talk a little bit more about this on Higher Journeys on Patreon. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.